Well, welcome to Big Valley Grace, everybody, especially those of you that are visiting. Welcome to all of you that are over in the venue. Thank you, uh, Pastor Brandon, for leading worship and all that over there. And to uh, all of you that are watching online, I'm, I'm grateful you're with us. Maybe you're listening on the radio. Uh, welcome. Um, if you're uh, visiting with us for the first time uh, in a church like Big Valley Grace, uh, we have lots of visitors that come on Saturday night or the nine o'clock hour, this hour, they're over in the venue. Um, it could be that this is your very first time that you've ever been in a church. Certainly you're familiar with church, there's one on every corner, but maybe you've never actually been inside of a building and, and you're wondering, man, what is, what is all this stuff going on here? Um, you know, one of the things about the church is this, is that we, we, we believe in the words that are written between these two leather-bound covers that God revealed himself in this book. And, and so we all come together as believers in, in the God of this book, and we worship him. We sing songs to him. We sing songs about him. We pray to him together. Um, we uh, receive an offering uh, together. It's, it's an important part of a Christian's life. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that we, we need to do this. This is an important part of a Christian's life. And the writer of Hebrews says, you know, don't, don't get in the habit of not coming to this moment. This is a, an important moment for those of us that name the name of Christ. Now, it may not seem important, it may not seem like it's that big a deal. It may seem like, well, I can just stay at home and listen to my favorite preacher on a podcast or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there is something very unique about a family of believers coming together. And together we worship. Together we pray. Together we hear the word proclaimed. Together we give. Together we fellowship and all of that. It's an important part of a Christian's life, and it's, it's what the Lord wants his people to do. Now you need to think about this. Um, there's 168 hours in a week, okay? And so the church, Christians gather, and whether it's this church or Calvary Chapel or, or Shelter Cove or Cross Point or Mill Creek or the One Church or the Carpenter's House or whatever, a lot of great churches in our town, we gather for about an hour and a half together. Some may be a little longer, some may be a little shorter, but for about an hour and a half, the church comes together and we worship the Lord together and we fellowship together. Now, there's 168 hours in the week, which means that the church, God's people, spend the overwhelming majority of their time, 166 hours and a half, scattered. The church is, 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 is in our neighborhoods. The, 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 the church is at the mall. The church is at Rayleigh's. The church is at Starbucks. The, the church spends the overwhelming majority of its time scattered everywhere. And Jesus says, I want you to be salt and light as you exit this place and scatter throughout the, the, the week. And then you'll have this special moment when the church will come together again. It gathers, and together it worships the Lord. 
Together it prays. Together it looks at the word of God. Together it gives. Together it does all of these great things that scripture talks about. And then, boom, it scatters again. And so this is a really weighty moment for the life of a believer when we've gathered together. And if you're visiting with us, we want you to know you're welcome here anytime. We'd love for you to become a part of this, this family, if you, if, if you will. We're in a series where we're walking through the book of 1 John together. John was one of Jesus' closest friends. He actually heard Jesus preach probably most of his messages. He was actually there. It's like you're gonna hear me preach, you're gonna hear me proclaim God's word. John actually heard Jesus preach. He was actually in the audience. He actually saw Jesus do most of his miracles. He saw it happen. He was there when Jesus was put on the cross. He saw it with his own two eyes. We read about it. John saw Jesus put on the cross. John saw the blood running down his face from that crown of thorns that was put on his head. We only get to read about it. John, John saw those you know, nails in his hands. He saw it. He saw the, the nail that went into Jesus' feet. He was actually there when Jesus took his last breath. He saw Jesus die. He knew where they took the body of Jesus. I'm sure he was just kind of following behind and he saw where that tomb was. He watched that body being put into that tomb. He saw that stone put in front of the grave. He saw it all. He was one of the, the first to arrive at the empty tomb. He was actually there. He looks into the tomb and Jesus isn't there. He looked into the actual tomb. He actually saw the resurrected Jesus, actually touched the resurrected, re resurrected Jesus, had a meal with the resurrected Jesus. He saw it all. John was a, an eyewitness to the life of Jesus, and as I said, he was one of Jesus' closest friends, and he's the one who wrote the letter that we call 1 John. This eyewitness to the very life of, of Jesus. Now, I wanna make sure that we're all on the same page, so let me quickly give everybody an overview, if you will, of what we looked at so far, okay? This isn't a comprehensive list, but it's an overview, okay? Number one, we looked at the idea that God is holy. First John chapter one, verse five says, this is the message we've heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. God is holy, God is pure, God is righteous. There's no sin in him. He, he's different than all of us. And that's one of the things that we looked at. Number two, if you have a relationship with God who is holy, then you can't be okay with living an unholy life. 
John said this in verse six, he said, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship of, with God. We're lying if we say that we've received Jesus Christ into our life. We're lying if we say that we, we've invited God, this holy and righteous and awesome God, into our life, but we just go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the, the truth. And that makes sense, doesn't it? that if we've invited this holy God into our lives, this righteous God into our lives, this pure God into our lives, and we have the third person of the Holy Trinity living within us, the Holy Spirit, then, then we can't be okay with just living in sin. It doesn't make any sense. Somehow, having the living God within us is gonna make some sort of difference in our lives, right? Then we looked at number three, which is when you do sin, Jesus stands ready to forgive you. In 1 John chapter two, it says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So, so yes, God is holy, and if you have a relationship with God, a true relationship with God, then you can't be okay with living an unholy life. But the reality is, this side of heaven, nobody's gonna live a perfect life. Nobody's gonna live a sinless life. We, we have our flesh to deal with. Paul said no good dwells within our flesh. Our flesh is simply the headquarters of sin, and there will be times, this side of glory, when we will blow it. I often tell you, you know, I don't always love the way God wants me to love. There are times that in this 215-pound body, I've got this six-ounce little beast right here. And man, sometimes it just gets the better of me. And I don't say things the way I ought to say them. I don't say them in the tone that they ought to be said. I blow it. There are times I, I sin. And the good news is, is that when I do sin, there's Jesus Christ who's ready to forgive me of my sin. But the deal is, I can't be okay with my sin. I just can't keep living in my, my, my sin, okay? And number four, we, we looked at uh, the fact that we're not to love the world and all that it offers. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. And he's not talking about the physical planet that God made. That's not the world that he's talking about. He's not talking about, you know, half dome or a Gerber daisy or, you know, a, a whale. He's not talking about the physical things that God created. We as believers are to admire all that God created. He created it. Uh, for our pleasure. And one of the great things that scientists get to do is they get to discover and look at all the things that God has created. And they try to figure out how does it all work and all those kinds of things. When, when the Bible says, when John says, don't love the world and all that it offers, he's talking about the, uh, the world systems things that man has created. Men are sinful, women are sinful, and then those world systems are then led by sinful people. 
And we're not to fall in love with those things. It could be the government, it could be public education, it could be Planned Parenthood type values, global issues, whatever all those, you know, those, those world systems are. We have to live within those systems, but we're not to fall in love with them. And then number five, we need to be careful of false believers and false teachers. In verse 26 of chapter two, he says, I'm writing these things to you. And he uses that term about five times. I'm, I'm writing these things to you. And then he explains why he wrote 1 John. And he says, to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. And we're gonna talk more about that uh, here, here uh, this morning. And last but not least, number six, we need to stay faithful to the word of God. Verse 24, chapter uh, two, uh, John says, so you must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. And, and here's the deal, Christian, it's hard to remain faithful to something that you don't know anything about. Hard to remain faithful to the things of God when you don't even know the things of God, which is why it's important for you to read the word, study the word, memorize the word, meditate on the word. That way you can actually do what the word says. You can actually be a doer of the word as our brother James uh, tells us to do. And so it's important that you, you, you know the word. So as you can see, we've looked at a number of really weighty things. And as I said, it's not everything. It's not a comprehensive list of all the things we looked at, but it, it gives us a little taste of, of 1 John. Today we're gonna to look at two more things that are weighty. It's really one thing that I've kind of broken into two parts. It's 1A and 1B, and here's the deal. The Bible says that man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. In other words, God has given us this incredible thing called a brain. And God expects us to use our brains. He wants us to plan. We serve a God of order. And God wants order in his church. He wants order in your family. Uh, there, there's order everywhere. And so we plan, we think, but as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes as we've planned and think, God steps in and he directs our steps. And so this past week, I had a plan. Kind of thought, here's where I'm gonna go with this message, and I kind of laid it all out, and as I began to study and look at some things and pray about some things, I found that the Lord, I think, was taking me another direction, at least with a piece of this message. So it'll be a little bit different than the, than the previous ones, but I, I hope it'll be a blessing to you nonetheless. So, so here's the first point, okay, point 1A. You need to examine people's lives. Yeah, you need to examine people's lives. First John chapter uh, three, look at verse seven. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, all the verses will be in your notes or they'll come up on the jumbotrons, okay? Uh, verse seven says, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. And that word deceive is an interesting word. You find it a number of times in scripture. God says, don't be deceived about this. Don't be deceived about that. Don't be deceived. And I think the reason why God uses that phrase over and over again is because we can be deceived. I often say that human beings are the only thing that God created that has the ability to deceive itself. And we're living in a culture that is just deceived. John says, don't let anyone deceive you about this. 
When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, the one who's been sinning from the beginning. But the Son of God, Jesus, came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. The Holy Spirit is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Now here's the deal, I, I didn't write that. But that's got a bite to it, doesn't it? Doesn't that have an edge to it? You know, John uh, had the nickname one of the sons of thunder. And you, you kind of see that in his writings. He, he, just, he just puts it out there. Now the Holy Spirit is the one who filled uh, John up and these are the very words that God wanted written but he allowed the writers to write these words in their own personalities. And so we have this pretty weighty little section of scripture here. Evaluations are a part of life, right? Teachers judge students' progress. Coaches appraise players' performances. Employers evaluate employees to, to determine whether they deserve a promotion or a raise or whatever, right? And here we have John in this text telling us how we can evaluate whether someone is really a follower of Christ or not. He basically says a person's behavior gives them away. In other words, if a person chooses to live a righteous life, that tells you something about what they believe. It tells you something about their life. If a person chooses not to live a righteous life, if a person just chooses to live in sin, that also tells you something about them. Tells you something about what they believe in. Now why is this important? Well it's important because at the time that John wrote this there were all kinds of people running around claiming to be Christians, but they really weren't. And then they began to teach things that were leading people away from a true relationship with Jesus. They were deceiving people. And so John is writing to these Christians telling them that one of the ways you can know whether someone is really a true follower of Christ or not is just by looking at their lives. Are they living a righteous life? Are they living in the light? Are they living their life according to what God's word says? Or are they living in sin? Are they okay living in darkness? Are they okay living an unholy life? Are they okay blowing off God's word? Beloved, John is telling us that one of the ways you can spot a false believer or a false teacher is simply by examining their life. Now, John's not telling you that you can't be friends with them. He's simply, you know, giving you a, a good way of knowing whether or not they're a true believer. And this is important. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, do not be deceived. There's that word again. Bad company corrupts good morals. Don't be deceived. 
You start hanging around the wrong people and all the great teaching of your Sunday school teachers throughout the years, it'll, it'll goof you up. You start allowing the wrong people to influence your life and all the, the good teaching that you learned in youth, you know, in the youth group or up at camp or whatever it is, you know what, it goes right out the window. Don't be deceived. All the good teaching that maybe your parents taught you or your grandparents taught you, you know what, it goes right out the window if you allow somebody into your life who influences you away from Christ. And by the way, let me just tell you, us parents, we love to take that verse and share it with our kids, don't we? But you understand that Paul didn't write that to the youth group at Corinth. <laughs> he wrote that to the church, to the adults that were at Corinth. Obviously, it has application to us as, as, as you know, you know to, to, for our kids and all that. But he was telling the adults something don't be deceived. Who you choose to hang around with will, you know, it, it can make a difference. In fact, there's an old saying that goes like this. You show me who your friends are, and I can probably show you how your life's going to end up. That's just the way it is. It's unbelievable how many people I've known over the years that have been influenced in a negative way by someone they allowed into their life, someone that they thought was a true Christian and they weren't, and they led them away from a, a relationship with Jesus. And I think John is concerned for the people. He's telling them, like Paul is telling them here in this text, to be careful who you let into your life. Not everybody that claims to be a follower of Jesus is actually a follower of Jesus. Let me give you an illustration, and I want to make this super practical. And this is where things get uncomfortable if you're, if you're visiting with us. Because I, I want us to be doers of the word. I, I want you to see how the word of God is applicable to our lives today. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick on the guys here for a second. And I want to talk to the ladies, especially those of you that are, that are single, okay? Ladies, um, you meet a man and he asks you out on a date. So far, so good. Happens every day, right? All of us that are married, there came a moment when we looked across the crowded you know, room and locked on and you know, we met up with him and I don't know, the, the crummy line we gave worked and we went out and you know, whatever. <laughs> so you go out on a date, right? And while you're on the date, he tells you that he's a Christian. He tells you that he's a follower of Christ. He even tells you he goes to Big Valley Grace. <laughs> he's got to be an angel. He's just got to be a fantastic guy, man. <laughs> uh, the meals come, and he prays for the meal. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, he even has a Bible, and not just any kind of Bible. He's got a Bible with his name on it. <laughs> he doesn't want to lose that baby. He doesn't want anybody stealing that thing out of his car in church, man. His name's right there, man. My Bible, my name. Keep your paws off this thing. Mine. I mean, this is all going great, man. Then after a few dates or whatever, he asks you to go back to his place and have sex with him. 
Sound familiar, ladies? Isn't that sad? <laughs> all the Christian stuff was just bait. That's all it was. This man has now asked you to go back and, and live in an unholy way. He's asking you to go down the rabbit hole of sin. He's asking you to go live back in darkness. Ladies, at that moment, you've just learned a great piece of information about them, haven't you? Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, I could have put that the other way. It happens both ways. Ladies, if a man asks you to disobey God, if a man comes and asks you to sin, live in darkness, live in an unholy way, just dump them, ASAP. I, I don't care how great their prayer was for, for the dinner. You've just learned something about them. They're okay with sin. In fact, they're so okay with it, they want you to join them. They're okay with unholiness. They're okay with unrighteousness. They're so okay with it, they're saying, come, be a part of it with me. Remember what 1 John chapter 2 says? Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they didn't belong to us. Where do some of these false teachers, false believers come from? within the church. It was happening 2,000 years ago when John wrote this and it's happening today. Members of churches, they, they obviously at one time claimed to be a follower of Jesus, at least for a time, but then they left the church. They didn't want to live by the teachings of the church anymore. They may have been confronted by the pastors of the church that they were living in sin, and you know what they decided to do? I don't care what the Bible says. What matters is, is what I think, what I believe. I just want, you know, my own flesh to be gratified. And so they leave. No, they still call themselves Christians. They get out there and then they kind of suck you in. Hey, Rick Countryman's my friend and they post that on their Facebook page. Then you're sucked into their page and where they start teaching some just really just weird stuff. They'll even throw a Bible verse out there. And the next thing you know, they've got you going down some path that's just weird, just crazy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said this about people living in the end times. He says, they will act religious. They will act religious. 
Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. Oh, there's an offering. But they really reject the power that could make them godly. They reject the very God who wants to send the third person of the Holy Trinity into their life to transform their life and really make them godly. But they're going to act godly. They're going to act religious. But they don't really have the power within them. And then Paul, our brother, says, stay away from people like that. Because you can be deceived. You can be deceived. Titus chapter 1 says this. Such people claim they know God. But they deny him by the way they live. It's easy to go, I, I know God, I love God, I love Jesus. That, that's easy. But what, what's written here basically is, is simply, hey, okay, that's good. Nothing wrong with verbally saying you love God, but, but look at their life. Examine their life. Check them out. In other words, make a judgment about who they are. And you would, you would assume that if the Bible's telling us to do this, to examine people's lives, to be discerning about people's lives, to make judgment about people's lives, that the enemy would come along with a counterpunch which, which might go like this. Who are you to judge? I don't judge anybody. And yet all throughout the scriptures, God says, no, 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 no. You make judgments. Ladies, let me tell you something. When you go out on a date with somebody, I want you to make judgments about the guy you're dating. Guys, I want you to make judgments about the girl you're dating. The Bible doesn't say we're not to make judgments. The Bible says we're to be careful how we judge. But obviously, we're to judge. Obviously. In chapter 4, John says this, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have really comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. Beloved, all this to say you need to be very careful who you allow to influence your life. Which means you need to examine the lives of those you choose to do life with. Now, now here's the deal. How a person chooses to live their life shouldn't change whether or not you'll care about them. God wants us to care about all people. I care about all those that are true believers. One of my roles as the shepherd of this church is I'm to care for the people of this church. And so I do my best to set up ministries, men's ministries, women's ministries, you know, whatever all the stuff is that, you know, CR, youth ministries, children's ministries, youth ministries, uh, things that I think will, will be a benefit to all of us that will help us know and love the Lord more and more and all those kinds of things. But I also care about those that think they're Christians, but they really aren't. I care about those people too. And I care about those who want nothing to do with Christ. I meet with a lot of people who don't like God, don't believe in God, and that's okay. I used to, I used to be in that camp. All of us used to be there. 
when you come out to our food bank and we help 300 new families every month, we don't give you food if you're just a Christian. We'll give you food no matter who you are because everybody was made in the very image of God and that's what gives your life value. Jesus Christ went to a cross and died for everybody even though we were sinful people. And if Jesus can give up his life for people, I can certainly give you a, you know, a bottled water, right? So whether you know Christ or not, we're, we're to care for all people. And I do. We just need to be wise about who we allow into our lives to influence us. That's what we need to be wise about. Now I wanna take a, a moment and talk about something that's somewhat related, and this is where we're gonna veer off path for a moment. I believe that a person can truly think they're a Christian and really not be. I think that uh, there's a lot of people out there who, who genuinely think that they're a believer when the fact is that they're not. Uh, they, they think they have the Holy Spirit in, that they think that their sins have been forgiven, they think that them and the Father's relationship has been made right again, when in all actuality, it hasn't been. They, they have come to Big Valley Grace or to some other church, and they like the music, they like the fellowship, um, they like the causes, you know, helping the poor and all the things that we do here. Um, there are some things that they like about, you know, the Bible. I mean, who doesn't like the Ten Commandments, right? Or at least certainly five and on, you know. I'm, I, I think, you know, we shouldn't commit murder. I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. The first four, I don't really know that much. You know. But I'm with you on that one. I mean, there's some things in here we all agree on. And so here you could sit and maybe, maybe you really don't know the, the, the Lord. So not only do we need to examine other people's lives, number 1A, but we also need to examine our own lives. This is gonna be 1B. You need to examine your own life. Now, now here's the deal. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to a church. It was a church in Corinth. And he, he says something in this letter to this church, it's really interesting. It would be like if the letter was sent here to Big Valley Grace, or it was sent to Shelter Cove, or it was sent to Calvary Chapel, or it was sent to Cross Point, or Church of the Park, or you know, uh, True Light Baptist, or Mill Creek, or Modesto Covenant, or Covenant Grove, or you know, whatever. It, it, you know, it's sent to a church, people that are part of a church. Th th these are people who are members of a church. And this is what Paul says. He says, church, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. That's interesting. He's writing this to a, a you know, you and I, a Big Valley Grace, come on, if you're a member of Big Valley Grace, that's a no brainer. I've been sitting under countrymen's teaching for so long, yeah, you know. How could someone be fooled? Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. <laughs> and in a personal sense, you know the third person of the Holy Trinity lives within you. God's Holy Spirit is in you. You, you get that, right? In other words, 
That ought to make some sort of difference in your life. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Beloved, this is really important to Paul. He knew that there were people sitting in churches that genuinely thought they were Christians, but they weren't. And so he writes to this church and he says, church, examine yourselves, look at your lives. Maybe you've deceived yourself into thinking that you know, you're, you're, you're a, a true believer, when in all actuality you're not. So examine your life. And I, I, I think that's an important thing, that you examine your life. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Pastor Rick, what can I look for in my life that you know, will give me the assurance that I really do know the Lord? You see, I think what's happened, especially in the American church, is if you said a prayer, then you're saved, right? Not necessarily. You know, in America, we have a great statement, talk is cheap. Just because you said a prayer didn't mean a thing. Saying a prayer is a good thing, and it may have been a genuine prayer, but let me give you a couple things that you could do to examine your own life, and that's what I want us to do. I, I just want you to take a moment and examine your own life. I don't want you to examine your spouse's life. I know you're really, really good at examining their life. I know you know their life like the back of you know, your hand. I don't want you to examine theirs, I want you to examine yours. Just yours. Don't examine your kids' lives. This is you and God right now. That's all. You and God. Here's the first thing. Do you have a love for the word of God. And before you just, well, yeah, of course I do. And relax. Let me unpack this a little bit for you. In Psalms 119, David wrote, I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. Wow. Man, I just love your word. In fact, I love it as much as my flat screen. I love this as much as my car. I love this as much as my home. I love this as much as all this stuff. He goes on and he says, I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I love them so much that I'm actually gonna study them. I'm actually gonna get a number two pencil out and a yellow pad of paper and I'm gonna do a little study. I'm gonna get involved in some Bible studies. I'm actually gonna do the daily meditation page. I'm actually going to come to our men's ministries, our women's ministries, whatever it is. I'm going to come to a Bible study. I'm going to, I'm going to study them. And then I'm going to reflect on them. I'm not just going to look at them one moment, walk out the door and go do whatever I want. I'm going to reflect on them. And he goes on, he says, I will delight in your decrees and I'm not going to forget your word. That is the idea that, man, if you're not going to forget it, man, you better memorize it. That's, that's how incredibly important the word of God was to David. Is that the kind of love that you have for God's word? He goes on to say in Psalms 119 in verse 97, oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Is that you? You got the word of God taped up in your car. You got the word of God maybe on your mirror when you're shaving in the morning. 
Or really, was the last time you looked at the instructions of the Lord, was it last Sunday morning? And frankly, if I didn't put the notes in your program or up on the jumbotrons, you don't even have the word of God with you. In Luke chapter 10, it records a great moment. It says, and Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Isn't that a great picture? There's Mary just, man, I don't care about anything else. I just want to listen to what what you've said. And you know, we have it far better off than Mary had it. Yeah, Mary got to sit at the actual feet of Jesus, but there came a moment, you know, when dinner was over with and Jesus left. We have it all. We can sit at the feet of the Lord anytime we want and read the word of God anytime we want, anytime. James chapter one says this, understand this my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. And um, that has nothing to do with a marital relationship. Now, I know a lot of marriage guys, books have been written about that, and I think it has some application maybe to us as human beings, but that's not what it's talking about. We need to be quick to listen to each other as human beings and slow to speak to each other as human beings and slow to get angry. That is not what James is talking about. In its context, he's saying this, everybody must be quick to listen to the word of God. Slow to speak about the word of God because we don't want to misrepresent what God says. In fact, James is going to go on and say, don't let many of you become teachers of the word of God because you will incur a stricter judgment. And then he says, you're to be slow to get angry about what you read because when you read the word of God, your flesh will get all wrinkled up. You won't like what some of it says. You won't want to do what some of it says. In fact, some of it will make you so angry, you'll leave the church if the church is going to teach that. In fact, when that little green basket went by, some of you who know Christ as your Savior, all the church wants is my money, and you're not putting anything in there, right? James says, Christian, Be quick to listen to the words of God. Be slow to talk about it. And be very slow to get angry what you read. Because you have to deal with your flesh, and your flesh doesn't like anything that the word of God's gonna tell you. So be very careful. Be very careful you don't get angry at the preacher. That won't stop your emails. Anyway, um, (laughs) or does this sound like you? Remember, we're doing a little evaluating. Psalms 119, 155 says, the wicked are far from rescue, for they do not bother with your decrees. You know what? I have a Bible, and we even have a family Bible at home, but you know what? They're far from me. (laughs) Just, I want my family doing it. I want my kids to do it, but I'm... You know what? Nothing. Nothing. 
In Jeremiah chapter six, it says, this is what the Lord says, stop at the crossroads and look around, ask for the old, you know, godly way and walk in it, travel its path, and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. And so here, I'll stand up here and preach my guts out and tell you about the old way, the godly way, walking that way. And you're sitting here doing this, and you're kind, you're polite, you know. But frankly, you're going to get up and just go, you know what, no thank you. I'm not going to go in that direction. I'm not going to do it. I mean, you'll listen to it. You don't have a problem listening to it. You're a great hearer of the word. And by the way, being a hearer of the word is easy. Anybody can listen to truth. It was easy to listen to Jesus preach a message. Listening to truth is an easy thing to do. The hard thing is to get up, walk out of here, and be a doer of the truth. That's a whole other deal. In Acts chapter 7, it says this, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, he looks out to the crowd and he says, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, Jesus, standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. In other words, no, 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 don't want to hear it. That's the imagery. La, 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 la. I don't want to hear what you're saying. Now, you don't do that in here. You may not even really do it, but that's kind of what you do. Don't, no, 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 don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. I want to live my life my way. I want to do things my way. I don't care. Yeah, I want you to live that way, honey. Yeah, I want you to live that way. You know, I'm not living that way. Nope, 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 not listening, not listening, not listening. And so you walk out of here and didn't mean a thing to you. Really doesn't. Examine yourself. I don't know. Do you really have a love for the Word of God? I mean, a real love for it. Uh, n- number two, do you see the power of God at work in your life? Back to our text, 1 John chapter 4. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people because the Spirit who lives in you, the Holy Spirit that lives in you, is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. The power of the Holy Spirit is greater in you than the enemy or the devil or the demons or even your own flesh. Beloved, your flesh is under the control of the enemy and he's all about sin, he's all about darkness, but if you truly have the Holy Spirit in you, he's all about holiness, he's all about light and the Holy Spirit's power is way greater than the enemy's power. So which power do you tend to see at work in your life more often? You you examine your own. Last night, a friend of mine was sitting right down here that I went to high school with. His name is Dave Minear. And when we were in high school together, uh, Dave Minear and I didn't know the Lord. And him and I used to do all kinds of things together. All kinds of sinful, sinful things. All kinds of unholy, unrighteous things. We were two guys that loved to live in darkness. 
We liked the darkness more than we liked the light. We didn't even believe in the light. And what was interesting is that a while back, Dave and his wife started coming to Big Valley Grace and we met in the altar room and him and I were talking about our lives and we began to pray for our, our spouses and we prayed for our kids and just prayed for each other. And you know, we're looking at each other going, this is weird. I mean, this is just weird. I, Dave didn't need to tell me he was a follower of Jesus. I knew he was a follower of Jesus because I could look at his life. I could see how the Holy Spirit had transformed his life, you see? I didn't need to say, hey Dave, I said a prayer once. I didn't need to say that to Dave. He could look at my life and go, wow, the power of God is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And look at what the Holy Spirit has done. He's transformed your life. You see? Paul said this in Ephesians chapter one. He said, I have not stopped giving thanks to God for you. I always remember you in my prayers, asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, a glorious Father, to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. I also pray that you will have greater understanding in your heart so that you will know the hope to which he has called us and that you will know how rich and glorious are the blessings God has promised his holy people. And you will know that God's power is very great for us who believe. That power is the same as the great strength God used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead and put him at his right side in the heavenly world. One version says how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in, in God. And what Paul's saying there is this, is look, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he was dead, he was dead. And the power of God came upon him. And when the power of God came upon him, he came back to life, if you will in human form, if you will. And God says, that same power lives inside of you. And if that power lives inside of you, beloved, examine yourself. Do you see it at work in your life? Do you see it at work? Titus chapter two says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us the grace of God, the power of God, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Examine yourself. Do you see yourself saying no to sin and darkness? Do you see yourself saying no to the things of the devil? Or do you tend to say yes, you know, most of the time? You, you're, you're examining your own life. Paul said this in Galatians chapter five, he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear, sexual immor immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if that's the practice of your life, don't be fooled, don't be deceived, don't think that you, somehow 
God's kingdom's waiting for you. If that's the practice of your life, if the Holy Spirit in you has not somehow transformed your life, you're fooling yourself. He says, but the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Examine yourself. Be a, little, be a fruit inspector. Do you see those things? Now, let me just say, I, I want to remind everybody. No one's going to do it perfectly. I'm not saying the Bible is not even getting close to indicating that we have to live a perfect, sinless life. Nobody can. We can't do it. I don't care how long you walk with the Lord, I don't care how many Bible verses you know, I don't care how much you study the Word of God, you're going to mess up at times. And we understand that here at this church. You may look at that list, there are times I've looked at that list and said, you know what, I see a lot of that fruit in my life, but you know what, right now, man, I don't see a lot of gentleness. That fruit has just kind of died on the vine. And I have to go to the Lord and say, man, God, I don't see that fruit in my life. Please forgive me. Help me. Help me, Lord. Help me to be a more gentle man. And then when that fruit starts to blossom in my life, I don't know, something else shrivels up. I'm always, I'm always working on something. It just, it just never, it just never, I don't have it all there, you know? But here's the deal. When I recognize that one of these pieces of fruit is missing from my life, I'm not okay with it. I can't be okay with it because of the Holy Spirit that lives within me. The Holy Spirit is gonna move me. And in some cases here at Big Valley Grace, um, you know, you go, wow, for whatever reason, I'm having a hard time, you know, getting a hold of this sin. I know it's wrong, I know it, I feel conviction over it, and so I'm gonna take the step to go to celebrate recovery. So you come down here on a Tuesday night and there's hundreds and hundreds of people here and they're all praising the God who transforms lives and then they get together, guys with guys, girls with girls, and they study the word of God. They feed their inner man, if you will. They hold each other accountable because they know it's wrong. You see, the thing about Celebrate Recovery is this, is yes, you can walk into the room and go, man, well, these people have got sin in their life. Yeah, they recognize it, and they recognize it's wrong, and they want to make sure that they're living a holy life, a godly life, you see? And so they're doing something about it. That's proof. That's proof that the Holy Spirit does live within them. It's the guy who never wants any help. That's the guy I go, well look, you know, I've invited you to celebrate recovery now for 10 years and you don't come. Maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. Maybe you're okay with your sin. And if you're okay with it, then maybe you don't know the Lord, you see? See how that works? Now look, no one's gonna stand before me. Please understand this. You're not gonna stand before me. I just wanted to do what the, what the Bible tells us to do and that is Spend some time examining ourselves. Yes, we need to examine those we allow into our lives, those that are gonna influence us. But we need to examine our own lives to make sure we really are believers, because here's the deal. Last night, last hour, the altar room was packed full of people. 
If you're out there right now and you're going, wow, dude, I don't know whether I'm really saved or not. I, I don't really think I love the word that much and I certainly haven't seen the power of God in my life. You know what? This is a good day. The enemy had deceived you to the degree that if you were to have died, guess what? You're apart from Christ. But today you examined yourself and you know what? You could go into the altar room and let one of our spiritual leaders talk with you. Let one of our spiritual leaders pray with you. You see, look, I want to make sure you understand this. I don't believe that you can lose your salvation. I think that if you genuinely receive Christ into your life, if, you, if that was a genuine decision, the Holy Spirit has came into your life and has sealed you for the day of redemption. You, it's a no-brainer. No you, are, you are saved. Now, here's the deal. I do think that there are a lot of people in churches like Judas. You see, Judas didn't lose his salvation. He never had it. Yes, he was close to Jesus, and they bumped into each other, and they put their arms around each other, and they went and had coffee together, and they had meals together, and Judas even served, you know, in Jesus' ministry. He was kind of the accountant of the group, and they hung around with each other, and they did things together, and all of that. And then there came a day when the flesh got the better of Judas, and he sold Jesus out for 30 shekels of silver, you see. He, he didn't lose his salvation. He just never had it. He never had a, a moment where he genuinely received Jesus Christ into his life. And I think that in the church today, you can have people. I think there are some right here today, maybe over in the venue. And you know, I've been close to Jesus. We bump into each other and we talk about Jesus. But I don't, I don't really have a love for the word and I don't really see God changing my life much. This is the day when you can go in and make this thing right. Make it right. Maybe you're here and you just need prayer for your marriage. That's what the altar room is for. That's what the altar room is for over in the, in the venue. Maybe you're here and you just want to pray, you know, for your teenager that's gone sideways or your parents that have gone sideways. Last night a guy grabbed me. It was really, really cool. And he said, hey, Pastor Rick, I, I made a presentation and I uh, made a bid, and there's other people that would bid on this job, and would you pray that I get the job? Because if I don't get the job, the three employees that I have in myself, I may have to shut the business down. So together we just prayed, God, you know, may he get the bid kind of a thing. It was fun to partner with him in that moment. Maybe that's what you need prayer for. That's what the altar room is for. The, the singing's done, the giving's done, the praying's done, the preaching's done, but God ain't done, is he? <laughs> and the altar room is a place where you can kind of tease out some of the things that God may be doing in your life. And so take advantage of it, okay? Over in the venue, why don't you stand and here stand and let me just end by, by praying, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for this weekend and I enjoyed last night. Last night was just fantastic, Lord. Enjoyed the nine o'clock hour. And thank you for all of those that are here. Enjoyed the music. Thanks for the worship team. And thankful for Ben and for Jared and, and, and Christina and Jared or, or Brandon over in the venue. Lord, thank you for just a great team of volunteers. Thank you for all the ushers and greeters and Sunday school teachers, thank you, God, for all of those that make a weekend like this happen.
My, my faith has been encouraged because of my time here this weekend. And Father, may these words, Lord, if there was something I said, Lord, or something I did that you didn't want me to say or do, may you somehow strike it from the memories of, of these souls, Lord. I only want them to receive what, what you wanted them to receive. God, may the message rattle around in our minds this week, Lord. Thanks for your goodness to us, and I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, Amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.